Hello, everybody. This is the Real Estate Exam Prep Podcast. My name's Stu, and I'm going to be your host. Are you someone who's having trouble studying for your real estate exam? Did you maybe take the test and fall a few points short, or maybe more than a few points short? We're here to help. We're going to deliver this information in concise, simple ways so that it's easy for you to understand. We're going to give you study tips and as much information as humanly possible to help you prepare for the exam in an easy to understand manner. Now, we do have a ton of resources available at our website at www.helpmepassmyexam.com. Once again, that is www.helpmepassmyexam.com. Over there, you'll find links to our YouTube channel, our Facebook community, as well as links to sign up for private tutoring and so much more. So without further ado, thank you for listening and hopefully you join our community. You let us know how you're enjoying the material and let us know also how we can help you further in your real estate exam prep as well as your career after that. So enjoy the episode and remember, go over to our website at www.helpmepassmyexam.com. In today's episode, we're going to be going over appraisals. What are they? When would you need one? And what goes into creating an appraisal? So first, why don't we identify what an appraisal is? So an appraisal is an appraiser's estimate and opinion of value of real property. Now, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that we have to understand about it. But now that we've identified what an appraisal is, what I want to do is go into why we would order one. But before I do that, I want to stress this, and this will be on your exam. They're going to ask you questions about what a licensee could do, what a broker could do, what a salesperson could do, in a lot of different ways. I I just gave you a couple of ways in which they could ask it. But bottom line is this. A licensee or an Uh, or a broker or a salesperson can only provide what is referred to as a comparative market analysis, or they could also prepare something called a broker's price opinion. Now, there's two couple differences between those. A comparative market analysis that's typically used when someone is looking to potentially get their uh, the value of their home in regards to what could I sell it for so if I was a homeowner and I was like you know I said to my wife hey honey I want to know what can I sell this property for What, what can we sell our home for I would probably call a real estate agent up and what I would do is I would have them come over and prepare what is referred to commonly as a CMA also long form of that is a comparative market analysis so what the licensee broker salesperson would do is take a look at what is actively on the market they take a look at what has sold and they would take a look at what's under contract 
and they would give their opinion of value based on that and based on the fact that I want to sell my home. So that's a perfect example of when a CMA or comparative market analysis would be used. Now, it is very important as a licensee that you make sure that you do not misrepresent that you are an appraiser in some manner, shape, or form, or even hint at it, okay? You can't do that. You must make sure that the CMA, the comparative market analysis, the client who is receiving it, the audience for your CMA understands that this is not an appraisal because you are not a licensed appraiser. Only licensed appraisers can give appraisals. So a CMA is usually used for that. And something else that I alluded to was something called a broker's price opinion. So let's talk about what that is and when that would be used. So a broker's price opinion is very similar to a CMA. It almost looks identical to it. It's prepared by a licensee or a licensed salesperson or a broker. And it is a broker's price opinion. It is their opinion based on analysis of the value of the property. Now, you're probably saying, Stu, that sounds a lot like a CMA. It is a lot like a CMA. But the only real difference is that typically we're going to use brokers' price opinions when we are compensated in some manner, shape, or form. That's what we usually refer to it as when we're compensated and we have a situation where we're going to be uh, paid for our opinion of what the value is. So now you're probably asking, Stu, wouldn't they just order an appraisal then? There's some times where an appraisal wouldn't be appropriate or it might be overkill. I'll tell you popular thing that, you know, came up with uh, BPOs and when they really kind of took off was when in 2008, when the housing market kind of took a dive, what happened was the banks were really saddled with a lot of properties that they had to offload, that they had to sell. And what happened was they had to put these homes on the market and they had to make sure that they're getting the most money out of it that they possibly can. So what would happen is this. These banks that were maybe not in the same market area as some of these homes. Um, there's someone who's sitting at a desk in Colorado and they're selling a home out in New York. They don't know that market. They don't know it really well. So they would hire someone to give a broker's price opinion based on analysis of material because you have to realize they were inundated with a lot of homes that they had. So they couldn't order an appraisal for each one. Why? Because that gets costly. And that, that's something that there is a big cost difference between an appraisal and a BPO. I will give you an average. So some appraisals go up into the five, six, seven hundred dollar range, whereas opposed to a BPO would probably be between fifty and hundred and fifty dollars, depending on the amount of work and depending on who was doing it. So that is the situation with a CMA, a BPO, how they're a little different from the appraisal. 
But let's get back to where how what we use an appraisal for. So there's a lot of different things that we could use an appraisal for. One of the things is finding out the value of a home when a lender is lending money because they want to make sure, hey, if we're going to give $100,000 out and this person is going to pledge their real property as collateral or repayment of the loan, is that property enough? Is the value of that property enough to cover this loan that we're going to be giving out to this borrower? So that's one reason you might have an appraisal ordered. Another is if you need a more official documentation of the value for divorce situations, things like that. Also too, they could potentially use a BPO for that. It depends really on the situation. It might be one where they don't want to spend a lot of money and they just want to get a somewhat non-partial, non-partial uh, idea as to what the value could be. You know, instead of calling up, you know, the the ex-husband's you know friend who was a realtor or the wives basically they would hire a real estate agent (laughs) excuse me who's just doing it for money and they would be able to give an opinion about what that value should be and they would give that in the form of a broker's price opinion so that is where why you would order an appraisal now something that's very important too to understand is that the appraisal will only be given to the person who orders the appraisal so if a borrower orders the appraisal then what happens is the borrower is the one who's going to receive it okay if they're paying for it they're going to receive it now the lender requires that the borrower discloses it to them and actually says it provides it to them but that's not something that they're going to necessarily provide to the seller that's not something that they're necessarily going to provide to the seller's agent they may the seller might request it there might be stipulations in the contract that say the seller is to receive a copy of it however that's not something that is something you have to do because the appraiser is just going to give it to the borrower and also keep in mind if you know you want to just start backing out you don't even have to give that to your lender you know the only reason you have to give that to your lender is because they require that for the loan so that's something that you should keep in mind as well when you're talking about this kind of stuff when you're just you know looking at the questions that they're asking you that might be a common question that you might see who receives the appraisal after reconciliation so it's only the client who ordered it or paid for it that's the only one that the appraiser is responsible to now when an appraiser starts his appraisal the first thing they're going to do is identify why they're doing the appraisal so is it for lending reasons that was one reason i gave you is it for insurance purposes you know maybe the house burnt down maybe it was damaged in some manner shape or form maybe we have to figure out what the story is there um maybe we're taking out a new insurance policy and the uh, insurance company is requiring an appraisal to be done maybe that's the case so there's a lot of different reasons as to why you might order or have to order an appraisal so an appraiser is going to start and they're going to identify the why why are we appraising this property because here's the thing why is important to the process of the appraisal 
maybe we need to know the market cut value of the home, the market value. So understand what it could potentially sell for on the market without any outside forces, without anything happening to a ready, willing, and able seller, to a ready, willing, and able buyer, all things set aside. So we might need the market value. We might need the cost of the property because let's say it burns down. Maybe we just need to know how much it costs to rebuild it. Um, Or we could be doing other things. So let's talk about what the appraiser has to do. And as I said, they have to identify the why. The next thing they have to do is consider three separate approaches. And how we're going to tackle each of the approaches is we're going to talk about each of the approach, when it typically would be used for, some of the things maybe it's not used for, and we'll go on to the next one. So the first one is the sales comparison or the market data approach. So the sales comparison or the market data, probably the most common for our residential real estate. So if it's a single family home, a condominium, a townhouse, we would more than likely use the sales comparison approach. And what is the sales comparison approach? Well, that is when you take the subject property, and let me give you some clarification. The subject property is property we don't know the value of. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take several other homes and refer to them as comparables, okay? Because they have to be similar. They, They can't be totally wackadoo off. If they are, the sales comparison approach or market data approach might not be the best. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to take homes that have sold that are as similar to the subject property as possible. So you're going to have subject and comparables. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take the sale price of those comparable homes and adjust it up or down depending on the dissimilarities of the comparable in comparison to the subject. So let me explain what I mean by that. The subject property has three bedrooms. Comparable one only has two bedrooms. So we know the sold price of comparable one. We know that it has one less bedroom. So what the appraiser is going to do is get their opinion of what one bedroom's impact on the home price is. Is it $5,000? Is it $10,000? Is it $40,000? There's no rules about that. So the appraiser is going to give their opinion based on analysis And they're going to say one bedroom is worth $5,000. So if I have a comparable that we say is inferior, meaning that it's not as good as the subject, then what happens is the assumption being made is that that would sell for less than what what the subject would sell for and it would sell for less than whatever the value of a bedroom is. Let's say it's 5,000. So we would add on to the sale price of comparable one, $5,000, okay, if that's what the appraiser deemed. And now he's going to do that for a lot of different things. The bedrooms, the bathrooms, garage, square footage, distance to one another, if they're further away, if they're closer, that kind of thing. So he's going to take all that And he's going to adjust each of the comparables. And he does that for each comparable. He goes through 
line by line on each comparable, finds the dissimilarities, and adjusts it so that each comparable is as close to the subject property as humanly possible. So he's going to then come up with a value and during the reconciliation period in the appraisal, he's probably going to analyze it, maybe weigh one more than another. Maybe he will average them, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll pick one and say, this was really the best comparable. It was the closest one to the property. We're going to use that one, that exact sale price. Maybe he does that. There's no right or wrong way for the appraiser to approach this. Any of those ways are possibilities that the appraiser could use. The next approach to value is going to be that of the cost approach. Now, the cost approach is unique because what happens is the appraiser is finding either the reproduction or replacement costs of the property. Now, when I say of the property, I mean of the improvements on the property. So what he does is he doesn't do it literally. He does it in, you know, his little appraisal. He separates the land from the improvements. So the improvements, here's what he does. He applies depreciation to it. Physical deterioration is one form of depreciation. That is wear and tear on the property. Is the roof falling off? Is the siding not in great condition? Is the driveway in need of repair? All of those are physical deterioration. The next thing that he applies is what is called functional obsolescence. That basically means, is the property functionally obsolete? Is it a five bedroom with one bath? Is it a home that has a poor floor plan? I've been in some older homes, historic homes throughout the country, and they have smaller doors, narrow stairways. They do not have a very open concept. That would be an example of some things that an appraiser would ding a home for or basically depreciate it for. So that would fall under the functional obsolescence. And obsolescence comes from the root word obsolete. So that's why I'm using these things interchangeably. This is functionally obsolete, okay? So that is functional obsolescence. And the third type of depreciation that an appraiser is going to apply to the improvements on the property would be economic obsolescence. And that is any factors that are outside of the property. Any factors that are going to be something like an airport was built down the, one mile down the road. Uh, there's a uh, you know bar across the street that plays loud music every night. Those things are economic obsolescence, and he would apply depreciation factors based again on his opinion of how much it depreciates the property and he would come up with a reproduction or replacement cost for the property. Now, what is the difference between reproduction and replacement? Reproduction is a one-for-one one type of uh, cost approach, meaning if we built it with this type of material, this type of stuff, I'm going to reproduce it exactly, okay? So the reproduction value 
is based on an exact replica, okay? The replacement, you're replacing it. You're going to probably replace it with something with what they would refer to as the same utility, the same use, but not necessarily everything's going to be exactly the same, okay? So, reproduction, exact replica as close as possible. Replacement, that's going to be something that is simply going to be a kind of as close as we can get it kind of thing with modernizing it, okay? And it has the same utility though, so if it's a residential home, this is still going to be a residential home. So, he then adds that to the value of the land. The land is never depreciated. Land is never depreciated, and what happens with land is they're going to figure out the value of that through a sales comparison approach. So what they're going to do is they're going to take recent sales data, analyze it, what is the value of the land. So couple things that I want to repeat on the cost approach. You're never going to depreciate the land, and the land, that portion of that approach is always going to be done through sales comparison. He's always going to, he or she is always going to take a look at it and compare it to other sold properties. And then what they do is they put it together and they come up with one value. This is typically used for public buildings, insurance purposes, because I'll give you a perfect example. My wife, when we were dating, and I tell this story often, she had a 300 square foot beach house. The market value of that house was very high. So if I wanted the market value of it because maybe we were taking out a loan and using it as collateral, I'd want the sales comparison approach because I want the whole property to be taken into consideration what it would fetch on the fair market. But if the house burnt down, well, the house that's three blocks from the beach versus the house that's 600 square feet, 10 miles inland, it's going to cost the same amount to reproduce or replace it. But the value's really in, you know, where the property is located, that kind of thing. So that's why the cost approach um, is going to be a situation where they're going to use it for different scenarios. That's why I said the reason you're doing the appraisal would be important. Typically, very, very new construction would be a reason we would use the cost approach. Like, very brand new. There's nothing that even compares to this. And public buildings like libraries, schools, things of that nature. So the last and final approach to value is going to be that of the income approach. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to, in your mind right now, take a drive down your town. And I want you to picture all the commercial buildings, all the strip malls, all the things where your Target is, your Walmart, everything. Now, imagine each one of those sold today. Well, by Willickers, let me tell you this, it would be hard to compare them because they're all different. They're all different. Some of them are bigger, some of them are newer, some of them are fancier, some of them are in better locations. So sales comparison approach wouldn't be appropriate. But these properties generate an income. So what happens is the appraiser is going to use two different methods 
to come up with a value. So the first one that you're probably going to hear is a cap rate method. What they do in the cap rate method is they take what is referred to as the capitalization rate. So the appraiser is going to take this commercial property that's generating an income in some manner, shape, or form. And what they're going to do is they're going to estimate a cap rate. And what a cap rate is, is typically the income that a property generates divided by the value. So the income divided by the value would give you what the cap rate is. So maybe he looks at a couple of different uh, commercial properties that have sold in the area. And what he would do is figure out a cap rate based on that, then would find out what the value is because the value of the property is the income divided by the cap rate. So he would take the known income or the estimated income divided by this cap rate that he has figured out and then he would come up with a value. So that is the income approach to value. Now, an appraiser has to consider each of these approaches for every appraisal that they do. Now, do they need to use every approach? No, they don't. So the very last step in appraising a property is going to be reconciliation. So what it is, is it's said that they reconcile it. So when the appraiser reconciles, he'll say, okay, I use the cost approach because this was a school building. It wasn't generating an income, so it would have been inappropriate for me to use the income approach. And we don't have any schools that have sold in the area, so we're not going to utilize the sales comparison or the market data approach. So we're going to use the cost approach. And he would make that argument for each one. Hey, this is a residential property. I think we should use the sales comparison approach because there's known sales data in the area that would be very appropriate for this. Okay, then what happens is same thing for the income approach. And what the appraiser is going to do is this. They are going to find one singular value for the property. It's not going to be a range. It's not going to be a guesstimate. It could be kind of like this. Nope, they're going to say, this is based on my appraisal, based on my analysis, the information I have here. This is what this property's value is based on what you asked me to find the value for, based on the parameters that I have. And ladies and gentlemen, that basically is what you would need to know for an appraisal. Now, there's a lot of things that go into it. There's also the principles of value of land, okay, and some economic principles, but I'm not going to go over that right now because I want to keep it concise to what I really think are some of the most important things that you need to know about an appraisal. So I think that those examples I gave you, those reasons as to why you would use each of those methods and also a little bit about it just so that you have a little bit of an understanding. I think that's the most important stuff that you could possibly take away from the information that I gave you tonight. So 
I, I hope that whatever time you're listening to this, if this is morning, afternoon, evening, I'm recording this at night. So that's why I said that. Um, but I want to tell you this, guys, again, thank you for watching. Uh, thank you for listening into this podcast. I really do appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening to me. And I'm going to be talking to you again real soon. So have a great one, guys.